On this week's episode, we're talking Quentin Tarantino. Which movies and scenes are his best? And just how good will Once Upon a Time in Hollywood be for moviegoers this weekend? All this and more as we reach our next stop, the PCC Multiverse. Don't be alarmed. The quasi-shimmering light before you is a trans-dimensional gateway to other worlds, other voices, other thoughts, and other realities. Up feels like down, and down feels like the number seven on a Wednesday morning. Don't worry. That quivering, blood-boiling sensation under your eyebrows is all a part of the charm. Welcome to the PCC Multiverse. And we're back with another episode of the PCC Multiverse. This is Gerald Glass from Pop Culture Cosmos and Game Source. We truly appreciate everyone out there listening to all of our great programs. We don't have Josh Peterson here today. He's still somewhere in the Pacific Northwest, I think still looking for Bigfoot. But we have a great show nonetheless because we're going to be talking nonstop, wall-to-wall Quentin Tarantino as Eric Offel from the Art House Legends podcast and also as well Austin Sprague of the Trash Talk and This Week in Basketball programs stop by to chew the fat on everything that they've liked, appreciated, respected, and also talked about when it comes to Quentin Tarantino, his filmography, and also the hopes they have for Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Well, without any further delay, let's get into it right now. My first conversation with Eric Offel of the Art House Legends podcast as we talk some Tarantino. You're listening to the Pop Culture Cosmos. All right, and we're back with the show. It's Gerald coming right back at you here. And it's time to talk some Tarantino because Once Upon a Time in Hollywood is debuting this coming Friday, the ninth film from Quentin Tarantino. His work has truly been inspiring to many. His work has truly been lauded by so many individuals out there. He is a critical and also popular darling with so many hits and so many different types of films and genres that he's approached. And I'll tell you what, in the nine films that he's done up up until this point, he's really gone ahead and pushed the envelope. He's really just changed the way a lot of filmmakers go ahead and perceive the film genre. And here to talk with me today about Quentin Tarantino is a great podcaster indeed. In fact, you got to check out his awesome show, The Art House Legends, today on Libsyn and also every major podcast outlet. It's a great show covering the world of film. He's here today to talk about some Quentin Tarantino. It's Eric Offill. Eric, it's just great to have you a part of the program today. I'm glad to be here. And just to kind of set things up, when it comes to Quentin Tarantino, I have literally grown up on his particular films. Reservoir Dogs came out when I was 12. I saw the trailer for that. I didn't see it until after I saw Pulp Fiction. And so in a way, you could say that my teens and moving forward had kind of had their transitions with the Tarantino films. That said, I am not a fanboy of Tarantino. I like I, I love Tarantino because he's willing to challenge himself, but at the same time, he does have some serious flaws in his work. And it's one of those things that it's a admiration disappointment thing with me when it comes to him, because when in many cases he'll go one step forward, but then take a step back. And as a geek, a nerd, someone who appreciates 70s, the 60s and 70s films as he does, it's, it's kind of, I'm kind of in a weird place with him, specifically. His films are definitely out there. He does go ahead and push the boundaries of what filmmaking is all about. And like you said, sometimes it's for the better, sometimes it's for the worse. He does go ahead and strike a chord with an audience out there almost every time that he's been able to put out his work each and every time. I mean, like you said, Reservoir Dogs came out and that literally put him on the map. Of course, Pulp Fiction and so much more in the 90s and evolving his work into the 2000s up until today. What is some of the favorite work that you do have? Because you mentioned, like you said, that there is work out there of his that are uneven as far as some of it good, some of it bad, in your opinion. 
What is, in your mind, some of the favorite movies that you have in mind when it comes to Quentin Tarantino that you like to talk about on your program? Well, we've talked about so far, I want to say seven of the nine films that he's had that's officially part of his oeuvre. Uh, Death Proof kind of is in that half area, considering that it was part of an anthology of sorts. But White... Honestly, when it when it comes to his films, Pulp Fiction is easily the best of his films. I mean, if you were to look at objectively, like when you break it down to its smallest parts, Pulp Fiction is the Citizen Kane of the '90s. And in fact, I would say it's the Citizen Kane of the late two, uh, the late twentieth uh, century. To be perfectly honest, because you can look at that film, dissect it. Find all those parts, see where everything works, and it works so perfectly, and it's in tune so well that it's it, it falls. It also kind of hinders any film that he makes after that because, like Orson Welles, when it comes to Citizen Kane, how do you follow up a quote unquote perfect movie in that sense? And I know that there are people who don't like it, but I could objectively make the argument that it is a perfect film movie that I personally like that, 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 that gives me the feel. So once I go, that I go back to over and over again, I probably say it's Django Unchained primarily because what he does with that particular film that I, I admire a lot is that he is completely subjective at this particular point. He wants to say something about racism he understands his weaknesses as a filmmaker in the sense of getting a message across. So he does this next best thing, which is just kill all the bad guys and kill them gloriously. He did that within uh, in Glorious Bastards. He would go on again to do it in Hateful Eight. He, he knows that that's something that he is good at doing and doing with such style. But at the same time, Django and Chain just... It, it reached that pinnacle of subjectiveness that I, I, that I find completely admirable in, in his work. Even if, like I said, it is so completely subjective and doesn't, and it was at the time even criticized for not taking the subject seriously or the people didn't think that he was taking the subject seriously. And I don't agree with that particular assessment. I think that he understood that he couldn't get that point across the way that like 12 Years a Slave could or that Roots could. He had to do it his way. And the way he did it was kill the bad guys and kill them so wonderfully that you're with Django the entire time. Similar to what you're going to probably see in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, how he's going to take an event that is common knowledge and that is well-known and that's the unfortunate Manson murders and the murder of Sharon Tate. And you're probably right. He is going to most likely put a new spin on that or his spin, I should say, his stamp on it. And it will probably be altered, changed, or moved around a little bit as far as the events of that fateful night 50 years ago is concerned. So we are going to probably see his reimagining of those type of events, which we've seen before in Inglorious Bastards. And like you said, a little bit as far as in his past when it concerns his films, I want to ask you in in regards to a favorite scene. Is there is there a scene that pops out particularly in mind? Because I will tell you, my background with Quentin Tarantino started with Pulp Fiction. I did see that in the theaters, and I will say, like like you said, it was a truly outstanding film, and it just for me it broke boundaries on what I had ever seen before on a movie screen, and I didn't think that people were going to go to the lengths that they did or could go to the lengths that they, that Tarantino did when showing such a film. And to see those type of boundaries being passed and broken through in Pulp Fiction was truly amazing in and of itself. I have some other favorite scenes, including Kill Bill, when it concerns you know the killing of the Yakuza. That scene is just truly remarkable. It's over the top. It's crazy, I know. And there's a lot of blood spraying all over the place. The House of the Blue Leaf scene. That's Yes. That's... that's one of those scenes that is so satisfying because it gives you exactly what you're hoping for. And I think that's one of the things that Tarantino aims for as a filmmaker. And, and I don't want to be 
talking form because I feel like his films say everything that he wants to say. But I will say though that when it, my assessment of his work is, he wants to give you the thing that you want, and then give you something that you didn't know that you wanted. And in most cases, he succeeds perfectly. Like I, whenever you say that there's one scene. There's always that one scene in every one of his films that is absolutely amazing, with the exception of Hateful Eight, but I'll, that's a whole different ballgame at that particular point. And I, I've made a, a very large assessment when it comes to Hateful Eight that you can find on the podcast. But like with Reservoir Dogs, the confrontation with Mr. Orange is an incredible scene. The way Michael Madsen just plays that, especially how, how the entire... A uh, conflict occurs when Mr. Orange shows up. Uh, when you have, uh, for me, when it comes to Pulp Fiction, the scene, uh, the open, just just right from the beginning, from from Honey Bunny to when Vince Vega goes to meet Mia. That entire first twenty minutes of the film is powerful. And then, of course, you have Jackie Brown, and you have the the, the scenes between Odell Robbie and Robert De Niro, which I think are just very powerful, but at the same time, they're very quiet. They're, they they capture the essence of both what Tarantino is capable of doing, while at the same time, from the source material, which I absolutely love, Elmer Leonard's Rump Punch, capturing the essence of the story while giving it his own twist. And those scenes, I think, really do kick that up a notch. Then, of course, you have Kill Bill, House of Blue Leaves. And then, of course, you have that, that, that amazing fight with L. Driver, in part two. Then, of course, you have Inglorious Bastards. We all know what scene in Inglorious Bastards is the best scene. I mean, it's not even, it's hands down. You can't, there's no competition. Although I will say that the German bar probably is just a second. Yeah, but it's still a very good scene with Michael Fassbender just tearing it up right there. I just, I think that really put him on the map as far as people saying, hey, this guy can really act and really do a great job. I think it it showcased his skills quite nicely. Well, before then, he was doing Hunger, which was his big claim to fame before Inglorious Bastards. This introduced him to American audiences in a way that, you know, that made him a star. Absolutely. But at the same time, though, like that that scene in the in in, in the house with with Hans Blonde and his introduction, it was it, it, it set up one of the possible one of the best twenty first century villains. And let's be honest here, we haven't had a truly memorable villain in the twenty first century within the last twenty years, with the exception maybe of Anton Schicker and the Joker. But even Hans Landa, in my opinion, is probably even worse because. He is so cunning in a way that those guys were more anarchists. And the way that he truly twisted that knife in that scene where you were with me, I remember catching my breath near the end when you know how this is going to play out and just how he did it. You're you're still trying to puzzle how he did it. You know, it's kind of like an, an evil Sherlock Holmes type thing for that scene. And then, of course, Django, <laughs> I mean, Leonardo DiCaprio should have won an Oscar for that performance. That was his, and I understand, I love Wolf of Wall Street, but yeah, that, that scene at the dinner table was the finest acting I think he's ever done. And he bled for his, he, he bled for it, which I also got to give him for that too. Literally, he did. Yes, this. I have heard that news on that. You're listening to the Pop Culture Cosmos. Don't touch that dial. Wait, do, do people still use dials? Listen up, all you gamers out there. Miracle Fruit Oil is ramping up the deals on its awesome Vitabrace gaming wristband. Vitabrace is clinically proven to help improve your gaming performance. Vitabrace will help you achieve your gaming goals, whether it's that single-player campaign, retro classic, or battle royale. Head on over today to MiracleFruitOil.com, and if you use the code VITABRACE50, you'll get half off on a VITABRACE gaming wristband, or use the code BUYONE-GET-ONE, and it's buy one, get one free. That's right, just use the code VITABRACE50, or buy and the number one, get and the number one, today to get some great deals on some VITABRACE gaming wristbands. So check it out today at MiracleFruitOil.com. Vitabrace, win with it. 
And that's a great sign of a director that he's able to bring out these type of performances, Uma Thurman, you know, the list, John Travolta, Samuel Jackson, time and time again, he's able to bring out the performances of these great actors. And these great actors are able to enhance virtually all of this, this great library of films. I know, like you said, The Hateful Eight, I think a lot of people have mixed reactions on that. Jackie Brown, because I, I think more of the fact that it maybe it because it came directly after Pulp Fiction, I think a lot of people might have issues with that. For me, it's, it's sentimentality when it comes to Jackie Brown because it it takes place in an area that I'm from and where I was in and around for most of my early years. So that to me was something special. And yes, as a film, it still resonates with me. But yeah, I can understand why people are not as high on it as, say, Pulp Fiction. Because like you said, Pulp Fiction was a masterpiece and anything coming right after that so many eyes are going to be on it. It's probably never going to get the love it deserved if it came out at a different time, a different place, or from a different director. So it may not ever get the love or appreciation that it fully deserves. I admire the fact that Tarantino went straight to a passion project with Jackie Brown after Pulp Fiction. And I will honestly fight anyone who says that Jackie Brown is a lesser movie because quite honestly... What One thing that I admire about Tarantino is even after Pulp Fiction, he didn't rest on his laurels. And in fact, I will say, I will argue that the only time he kind of rested on his laurels was Hateful Eight. But I also think that he was trying to test himself with trying to kind of go back to Reservoir Dogs, one single location, can I do this? And you know, try to try to do a, a more kind of a bigger budget version of Reservoir Dogs, which I can appreciate that in itself. But with Jackie Brown, uh, Elmer Leonard's novels, uh, a an author that he absolutely admired, and especially if you've ever read Elmer Leonard's novels, this Tarantino is a natural fit for that. Unfortunately, though, Get Shorty came out, you know, before this, and Get Shorty did Elmer Leonard almost perfectly in itself. But Tarantino didn't make an adaptation of Elmer Leonard. He took Elmer Leonard and he made it Tarantino. And that, I think, is amazing. Pam Greer, Robert Forster. I never really appreciated Robert Forster uh, up until Jackie Brown. And now whenever I see him, I absolutely am, am, admire him. I, I Last weekend I saw him in a movie called Alligator, which I don't know if you've ever seen. Giant Alligator in the Middle of a City type movie. It's schlocky, but it is written by the great John Sayles, who did Lone Star and Make One. And, you know, he's done all these great indie films, but he was the guy who wrote this. And Robert Forrester is the protagonist. And I'll tell you right now, this is a good movie. Very low budget, but very good. And it's a giant alligator monster movie for crying out loud. I mean, I, I honestly don't think we have enough giant alligator monster movies. Well, Crawl is trying to change that, my friend. Crawl is trying to change that. I could talk 20 minutes on Crawl. And considering what we're getting with Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, I'm excited, specifically when it comes to performances like Luke Perry, who I think is capable of doing great stuff. I've seen a little bit of him in Riverdale. I, I have a hard time with television, to be honest. But... I know that he's capable of doing something good and knowing that this is his final performance and hopefully you'll, you know, we'll see a part of him that will kind of give more of appreciation to what he was capable of. And on top of that, that he's willing to take chances with, with actors the way that he does. I mean, we can talk about Christoph Waltz who came out of nowhere. I mean, he, he's just a German actor that, Tarantino saw it and just said, you know what, I'm going to not only base this movie, but I'm going to write another role just for him. I'm going to write that role just for him because he am, I, I just see so much in him. And the guy won two Oscars for that. I mean, seriously, he, I, I, I can't. I, when it comes to Tarantino, there's a lot that I admire. Even if I'm not... The fanboy, even if I'm a little bit skeptical when it comes to to movies, even with this one, like you were saying with Once Upon a Time in, in Hollywood, that you know there'll be a focus on on uh, the Manson murders. If that happens, I'll be disappointed. Well, it's just going to be a part. I, I know it's going to be a part of it, and you know, with Tarantino, he's going to probably go ahead and see things in a different light when it comes to those murders. 
the the reason why I'm hoping there's two reasons. First off, because he's using the once upon a time in moniker, which if you think about it, we've had once upon a, once upon a time in the West, once upon a time in America, once upon a time in Mexico. You use that particular moniker and you're going to tell a story that is epic because it it makes your mind focus on a fairy tale. In 1969 was a crazy year in American history and especially in Hollywood. I, this, in my opinion, is possibly the film. And considering the, 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 uh, the reaction to Khan, that Khan had to this particular movie, this could be Tarantino finally achieving the one thing that I don't, I think even he didn't know if he was capable of doing, which is could he actually top Pulp Fiction? And that is that that's the challenge. And I, I will be honest here, if he is capable of creating that epic scope, doing all of that, uh, kind of building the characters and building the story and having and being able to contextualize the Manson murders into all of it, not making it too big a part of it. Then in my opinion, he this could actually be it. This could be the 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 holy grail, so to say. And you know that is going to be something that we're going to be looking toward too. And I, I want to clarify that I don't think it's going to be a major part of it, but there is going to be an underlying uh, story in regards to it, a little sprinkling of it. And like you said, hopefully, knowing his track record, it'll have at least a little bit in there about it, and like his thoughts on it and way he wants to go ahead and reshape those events in his own imagining. I think that's what we're probably going to end up seeing because we have seen it before. But you're right. I want to see more of what's going on circa 1969 in Hollywood because, again, I have a uh, sentimentality when it comes to that time period because that was the year I was born. So, in essence, I will be looking forward to seeing his vision and maybe saying to myself, you know what, is that what it was like during that period of time or something similar in that type of realm in Hollywood? So I'm fascinated by what's coming out when it concerns Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. But I want to ask you this as our final question before we head on out. I want to ask you, his future, he has stated within recent days, is that he's only talking about one more film, which quite possibly would be a Star Trek film, an R-rated one, of course, because Quint, I, I don't see Quentin Tarantino doing another PG-13, at least at this point in time. But I want to ask you this. If he does a Star Trek film or even another film and has it be a 10th film from Quentin Tarantino, he says he was going to be stopping at either 10 films or the age of 60. If that is the case, do you actually see it end up being the final film, the 10th film from Quentin Tarantino as his last performance? Or do you see something else as far as down the line, maybe a project he just cannot pass up? Honestly, I mean, we've heard this before from him when it comes to, you know, retirement. Um, he's a junkie. He, he, he loves telling us. Now, if you can find an avenue in which he doesn't have to actually direct, but is perhaps find, you know, honing the next generation of talent. If he, find, if he finds passion in that, then, yeah, I think that he's capable of retiring because I think he's afraid of his legacy getting watered down with bad movies. Say what you will about the greats. Terrence Malick's recent films are diminishing in their quality. Robert Altman's last few films weren't that good. And Tarantino, will, I think he wants to end his career on a very strong note. Whether that be Star Trek, whether that be some other avenue, I, I don't know. I'll be honest here. When you say that you, you don't think he's capable of doing PG-13, in my opinion, that would be the perfect reason for him to do it, just for the challenge. Could he actually make, with a self-restraint, saying, I'm not going to, you know, I'm, all the things that I've fallen upon, the, thing, the, the things that I have basically based my career on, can I actually do a great movie without having to fall to those tropes? But if he's going to just basically do the same old thing that he's doing now, especially when it comes to Star Trek universe, basically he would Tarantino eyes that universe and won't really add anything to it. So I don't know if I would be actually excited about that or not. It would be just, I'd have to see kind of the direction he's going 
what he would do with it. I'm mean, gonna watch it anyway, just because you know I'm a masochist. But I don't know. I just I don't I don't think that that's the right move. If that's kind of you know if, if that's his intention, to be honest, whatever his last movie is, I want it to be. I want him to put everything that he that he feels into it. And I feel like that's what he's doing with Once Upon, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. I feel like he's throwing everything he's got at this thing. And I, that's why I'm really excited about seeing him. Well, I will say this. If it does come to him making a Star Trek and that being his last performance, I think it'd be, it would come out with him as far as his work being it a passion play for him because this is obviously something that he... Would, was probably dreaming about when he was working at the video store so long ago or when he was talking with Robert Rodriguez back in the early days before their, their real start in filmmaking and spoke so long about their love for filmmaking. So I'm, I'm curious to see what he would do with that franchise because it does need a swift kick. It does need something good to happen to it because it's not quite at the level I feel it should be. But Again, that's another whole conversation. And that's if that's true. the case, and he does ultimately come to the point where he does direct the next Star Trek and it does become something of his vision, I'd love to have you back on the show or even sooner for that fact, if you want to go ahead and talk about any time, any subject you want when it concerns pop culture. But one last thing, again, I'm talking to Eric Offel. He is the man behind the Art House Legends that's available today on Libsyn and all other major podcast apps. But I've spoken about your great podcast, but you got to tell everybody out there that's listening to our show why Art House Legends is a show that you need to listen to if you're into movies. First off, what our show does is we look at classic indie and, you know, kind of the, the critically acclaimed films. And we look at it from a geek perspective. Does this movie garner the critical acclaim that it's earned from the critics? And if we think that it does, then we'll give it some kudos. If it doesn't, then we give it the biggest ribbing that it can possibly get. And we, we have a lot of fun doing so. We, we have gone through pretty much uh, all, like I said, we've done seven of the nine uh, Tarantino films. We have done quite a bit with the likes of Alfred Hitchcock. We've done the movies of, of the 20s, 30s, and 40s, as well as stuff that just came out recently. Uh, we do horror films. We do uh, science fiction. We do dramas. We do documentaries. And we just have a whole lot of fun with it. So if you want to give us a shot, uh, we are Art House Legends, where pop culture and film criticism collide. And I want you all to join us. Awesome. Once again, it is the Art House Legends podcast. You got to check it out today again on Libsyn and all other major podcast outlets. Well, Eric, it's just been a great pleasure to talk to you today when it concerns Quentin Tarantino. Again, the door is always open if you want to come back and talk about great pop culture or film subjects because it's always great to have you a part of the pop culture cosmos. Coming up next, it's Austin Sprague's turn to share some Tarantino thoughts right after the break. This is the PCC Multiverse. Get ready for Kitty Origins Evolutions, the latest documentary from Rob McCallum. Thrusted into heavy metal stardom as teenagers with their debut release, Kitty has thrashed and conquered the heavy metal world for the past 20 years. Kitty has defied industry norms, fought back against women and rock stereotypes, and inspired generations since they appeared. And now, for the first time, they've decided to share their untold story. Generously peppered with archival footage shot by the band, this film gives you an honest and brutal look at what it takes to survive in the music industry. Order the DVD, Blu-ray, and live CD triple pack that features recordings from throughout their 20-year illustrious history from RobMcCallumFilms.com. RobMcCallumFilms.com, your place for awesome stories about awesome people and films worth watching. All right, and we're back with the show. It's Gerald coming right back at you one more time, talking some Quentin Tarantino once Upon a Time in Hollywood is coming out this weekend. It is right now the talk of the town in Hollywood coming off of what we saw at San Diego Comic-Con with all those other great pop culture projects that are out there. But right now in theaters, it is all about Tarantino. A lot of stuff going on with him. 
his future, and of course, what's going on now with Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. And here to talk more about Quentin Tarantino with me is a excellent podcaster himself. You got to catch right now after we talk on right here on the show. You got to go ahead and catch the Trash Talk podcast and Last Week in Basketball. Both of those podcasts are available on virtually every major podcast outlet. He's got a tremendous two podcasts as well. And a third one on the way with the Beer and Pretzel RPG podcast. It is truly a pleasure to have him on the show. It's Austin Sprake. And Austin, just glad to have you once again on the show. Oh, thank you very much for having me. I'm excited to talk about some Tarantino. I am as well. I mean, I had some great conversations so far. It's just nice to see the way he affects people with his, uh, I guess, a different kind of filmmaking that he does. So it just see, it's just interesting to see how his type of filmmaking affects people. But you have a history and background with Tarantino. You've actually studied his work in great detail, have you not? Yeah, in college, I spent a lot of time and wrote many papers on different films of his, even some of the less known ones like Death Proof, Kill Bill, I think volume one I wrote about, and then of course, the classics like Pulp Fiction and Inglorious Bastards. But I studied a lot about Tarantino, took a couple of Tarantino classes, and uh, just a fan, just like everyone else of his work. When you get to the point where they're naming classes after Tarantino, that shows you've made a mark in the industry. Filmmakers alike that are coming up these days studied, like yourself, Tarantino's work time and time again and see where this is going with his career and, you know, in many ways, maybe taken a little bit of things here and there from it to get his type of ideals across. And, you know, going back into the first things that you were seeing in regards to Quentin Tarantino, what was the first film you saw when it comes to Tarantino and, and how did that move you? For me, it was Pulp Fiction, which, which is probably a good place to start. And for me, it was just a very different experience because I was watching something that had so much style to it. Because what I love about Tarantino is that there's a million other great filmmakers, Spielberg, Scorsese. But with Spielberg, even though he's had a lot more films and he's won multiple Oscars, with Spielberg, he makes a lot of good films consistently, except you don't see a lot of his own style. He can make a film and he can make it very well, but you don't see a film and go, oh, I can recognize that as a Spielberg film without looking at the credits. With Quentin Tarantino, you instantly can tell, like some of our directors like Wes Anderson, you can instantly tell what a Wes Anderson film is because it's very different than any other film. Tarantino was the same way, and he was really the first director that I noticed that had a unique style in terms of not only filmmaking like a lot of other filmmakers but writing as well as well as how he casts his actors and how he directs them so Pulp Fiction was probably my first experience and then after that I just kept trying a new one a new one going to the library at school grabbing a new movie and trying it out and then branching on to other movies that were like his work because other directors have tried sometimes successful sometimes not to emulate his style so it's kind of interesting to see other films that were influenced by tarantino's work and he's come to appreciate a lot of work of some older stars as well that he still was able to go ahead and manage to integrate those older lesser known stars with modern well-known high profile stars as well yeah that's what i love about him because just like you were saying forrester is one also, Pam Greer, we kind of forget, but John Travolta at the time of Pulp Fiction was kind of on like the bottom of the hill. He was heading down quickly. His career was kind of going downwards. And then Tarantino brought that back. He was nominated for Best Supporting Actor. It might have been Best Leading Actor. But and then there's other actors, including for Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, we're unfortunately not going to see it, but he did cast Burt Reynolds for a part in the movie and Burt Reynolds was so excited to be in it. And this was going to be potentially kind of a John Travolta situation that Tarantino brought Burt Reynolds back into the spotlight. And that's because he wanted him. Our filmmakers, they might not take the gamble on Burt Reynolds or John Travolta, but Tarantino, like you said, he's seen 
all their work and he knows how to use them within his own movie. And unfortunately, Burt Reynolds is not being the movie, of course, because he passed away. But also Luke Perry, Luke Perry, who his career never quite materialized the way he wanted to based off of his 90210 fame. I think a lot of people in Hollywood had pigeonholed him into a certain area. There are heavy rumors about his inclusion in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood that it could open up a lot of eyes with his performance in the movie. And that's something that unfortunately he's passed away, but something that he could have actually delved into more as far as serious acting roles instead of the cheeky pop type roles that he was limited to for quite some time. So it's interesting to see how he was able to not only land that role, but what a lot of critics were saying and things of that nature and a lot of leeway is put in there by other individuals that have seen the movie at Cannes and whatnot, that he could have a shining star put on at the end of his career. Yeah, no, you're exactly right. That sometimes he takes actors that have been going on the decline and he brings them back, but sometimes he can take an actor who's less known for whatever reason. For Perry, he was, he's at the moment, he was kind of been only known for the Riverdale series recently, and that's just a CW show. It's kind of aimed more towards teenagers and he probably wanted to head in a direction where his career would actually take off. But Tarantino has that power to bring actors in and kind of transform their careers. And it's kind of unfortunate of his untimely demise, because like you said, we might see more of him if he, if we got to see more of him after this. I know his career would probably have taken off. If that would have been the case, unfortunately, you know, we won't be able to see how it would have materialized. It's a shame again about the untimely death of Luke Perry. But there is so many great moments when it comes to Tarantino movies. And I know it's hard to pick just one. But before we go into your favorite movie when it comes to Tarantino, but I think I already know already since you kind of hinted at it already. What is probably your favorite scene when it comes to any of the Tarantino movies that you've ever watched? Okay, that's a good question because I can almost name one or multiple terrific scenes from each of his movies, even the ones that people don't care for as much like Death Proof. I have multiple scenes from that movie that I love. If we're going for my absolute favorite, I'm going to have to say it's either between Inglorious Bastards, the first time we see Hans Landa, He's driving up with his battalion on the motorcycles and they go to the farmer's house. He's hiding the Jewish girls underneath his house. And there's a long scene. It's like close to 15 minutes long of Hans Landa and the farmers just sitting in his house, having a glass of milk and just talking. Most of which isn't in English. And it's just such a great scene because he can turn there's not much camera movement within it. There is some, but it's not shot and edited to be super exciting and flashy. But the suspense is there because of the acting and also because, of course, the great writing by Tarantino. So that might be my favorite, but also a classic scene from Pulp Fiction. There are multiple, but probably for me would be when John Travolta and Uma Thurman go up on the stage and dance. After getting the milkshakes, the $5 milkshakes. Those probably were my favorite scenes. What about you? That's a very iconic scene. For me, it's going to be in Kill Bill with Uma Thurman taking on the Yakuza. And that scene in the house, I'll tell you what, where blood was spraying everywhere. It was truly a, a sight. The people that were with me were getting ill. I was just loving it. And it was funny because we saw it in the theaters. And as you know, there's blood spraying all over the place. Yep. Fake blood. <laughs> fake blood, of course, of course, everyone out there, of course. But it to me, it was kind of just hilarious to see at points in time. But still, just a, a truly remarkable scene where just the tempo changed several times during the course of that scene. But the mood and, and the way that he was reflecting the intensity of that scene was still nonetheless apparent throughout because people sometimes say, oh, well, that scene's took too long and drawn out, blah, 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 blah. I still think for what it was worth and the number she was up against, it fit perfectly for what he was doing, what he was trying to accomplish. And it, it really, to me, showed Uma Thurman's talents to the max right there. 
Yes, she can act really well. We know that. We saw Pulp Fiction where she really did an outstanding job. We've seen her in many other movies. But this one right here for me, just just having that vengeance in that in that scene, just to me. And then actually finishing it up with Lucy Liu at the end right there just truly was a great point in time for me to watch and appreciate his films. So that, that's probably my favorite scene as far as that whole arc right there. I know it's a little mm. bit longer, but... You're talking about a great scene with Inglorious Bastards, which is in my top three when it comes to him. And I'll tell you what, I think you just would have given the Oscar to Christoph Waltz right there and then. I mean, yes, he did a great job throughout the rest of the movie, but it's one of those great first impressions in movies in Hollywood that I've ever seen. To me, openings really get me when there's a really very, very good opening for other movies, I'm going to say the rebooted Star Trek in 2009 with Chris Hemsworth. That's what put him on the map. His emotion in that opening scene and that part just before the title credits came up. And in Saving Private Ryan, I mean, when you go and you see the D-Day and they're attacking Omaha Beach, that right there, when you saw that, really gripped you as, a, as an audience member. And the same thing goes for Inglorious Masters, where you had the great Christoph Waltz right there. He grabbed the whole audience and had it in the palm of his hands by the end of that scene. Nobody knew who he was. Nobody had seen him before in the audience. Nobody had really, you know, just who is this guy? But he just commanded the scene. By the end of that scene right there, you just wanted to know who he was. And you just truly appreciated that he just knocked it out of the park. Oh, yeah, I agree. Throughout the movie, there are many great characters in that movie. And Hans Landa, of course, is the villain of it. But he's the one character that commands respect and the one character that can kind of control the audience. And that really was, like you said, the first time audiences have seen Christoph Waltz in anything. And even though he has gone on to do other things, he won an Oscar for Inglourious Bastards. He won an Oscar for Django Unchained, also done by Tarantino. And he has done some other films, like he did one of the more recent Bond films, but he hasn't really done anything close to the, like anywhere close to the quality of Inglourious Bastards or Django Unchained. And I mean, not even Alita Battle yeah. Angel is good, but it's not to the level. That. Yep. Yeah, it's not, not to the level of, of you know, Glorious Bastards or any of his performances there. But, you know, he, he carried it as best he could and coming back for the next Bond movie. So interested in seeing where his Blowfield character will go from there. But, yeah, you're right. Just truly tremendous actor. I cannot say good enough good things. And, again, that put him on a map. I wonder if he gives, like, residual checks to Tarantino every time he does a film now. Yeah. <laughs> No, that makes sense. To go off what you were saying about the Kill Bill scene, I totally agree because time-wise, it's a long scene if you put it all together, but it is a scene or a sequence of scenes. And it's just so well done because it starts even before the fight. There is the long tracking shot of her going throughout the... Uh, is it a bar? What is that? I forget what kind of place. It's like a restaurant. Yeah, it was. And, I believe it was a restaurant. Yeah, she's just walking through the restaurant. If we get the tracking crane shot following her the whole time, great shot scene. And then for the actual fight in, and with Tarantino, he's known for violence. We see violence throughout all of his films. But at that point, because we haven't seen Tarantino's violence and action use in Django, his violence was more shock violence. That was kind of the first time we got to see like, full-blown action action like you would go to see an action film during the summer that was the first time we got to see tarantino's work with long sequences of action and like you said it's just super fun to watch and just how uma Furman is able to handle the stunts on the ground level and her also doing like the flips to go to the second story there's the fight with the silhouettes in the background when the light kind of makes everyone the fighters and her silhouettes very cool and then she fights the girl, Gogo, I want to say her name is, the girl with the spiked ball. Even afterwards, she fights the head of the gang outside in the snow, which is part of the same scene, but it's a very different in terms of how they shoot it. It's much slower. It's much more dramatic. And the music changes. And that whole sequence of scenes is just so good. So I think I might agree with you. If we're counting all that as one scene, that might be my favorite or at least second favorite scene. 
Once Upon a Time in Hollywood is playing in theaters this weekend. And I want to ask you, my friend, when you sit down to see it, what are you looking forward to? And what do you think Tarantino will do most to bring up that era of Hollywood? Not necessarily saying the murders, because he is going to put a little portion of that movie and focus on the Manson family, the Sharon Tate murders, possibly putting his own spin on it, like he's changed other historical moments in time in some of his other films. But what are you looking forward to seeing when it comes to Once Upon a Time in Hollywood? For me, I kind of know what I'm going to see. I'm not expecting to show up and be disappointed because he wasn't able to capture the essence of the 70s. I know he's going to do that. Every film he does, he controls every aspect of it. And I know he loves that time period so much. So I know he's going to do it justice. I'm kind of curious to see how he's going to handle the story. Is it could be a traditional A through Z storyline, or is it could be more like Pulp Fiction that's told out of order, or maybe not even told out of order, but there are multiple storylines within it? Because we do have the storyline of Brad Pitt and Leonardo DiCaprio as an actor and a stuntman. As well, we got Sharon Tate, the Manson killings. Is that going to be told in a traditional movie sense, or is it going to be multiple storylines weaved together? I'm kind of curious how he's going to handle that. In terms of what I'm excited to see from him, I want to see, and I'm hearing rumors that this is true, I want to see growth. And it's kind of weird to say I want to see him grow as a filmmaker, considering he's almost at the end of his filmmaking career. But directors now, Scorsese, they continue to grow over time just like everyone should in their work. And what I wanted to see from Tarantino was that I wanted to see him kind of mature as a filmmaker, step away from, I don't want to say the stereotypes of Tarantino, but some of the mild controversy, his takes and the debate he's constantly getting, especially with Jingo Unchained and The Hateful Eight on racism and the N-word that he uses a lot throughout his films. I'm hearing... And I think this is true, but of course we'll see when it comes out this Friday. But I'm hearing that he's grown as a filmmaker that you still will see his traditional Tarantino touch on dialogue and filmmaking, but it's not going to be such a raunchy Tarantino fest that he normally does. It sounds like he's kind of grown as a filmmaker and he just focused on making a really, really good movie with touches of Tarantino rather than a really good Tarantino, Tarantino movie. So I'm excited to see where he has been going with his uh, filmmaking and how he's grown. I'll tell you what, I'm excited to see how he perceives that era in time, a time where I was barely even born. I was actually less than one year old at the time that whole thing takes place in 1969 so it's a transition period in history for america and especially in hollywood uh, to see the big stars of the 50s and the 60s going away and leading into more of a i don't want to say now it's not a modern age but more into a modern age of that time in the 70s and 80s and it's right here there in that cusp of of where it's at in 1969 so it's going to be interesting to see how he perceives that era and time. I know he redid a lot of the area in Hollywood in order to accommodate and make it look like it's 1969 all over again. So again, I'm curious to see what he will do. It's funny because Jackie Brown was also filmed in many parts of an area that I'm familiar with when I grew up in Torrance, California. So it's interesting to see how he's going to go ahead. And for me, sentimentality-wise, it's still... Very interesting to see how it's going to be perceived and how it's going to be looked at and, and how he sees that era of time in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. So I'm looking forward to it as well. I, I cannot wait to see it. And, but like you said, if has he grown enough as a filmmaker to go ahead and present something to an audience that's not a full-blown Tarantino movie, but a quality movie with a Tarantino spin on it, that's just enough Tarantino, but also enough that a modern audience can also grow and progress with him as well. So just, I uh, agree. And I think that's where they're going with it because I've noticed that Sony's producing this for the most part, he was distributed by Miramax, the Weinstein company, big indie companies, but they're still for most part indie companies. Like they're, big studios still but not on the likes of sony so i've been seeing a whole ton facebook youtube i'm constantly seeing ads for it which i'm fine with because i love tarantino and i think i'm gonna love this movie 
but I've been noticing a lot more promotion for it. Also, I've been noticing all over YouTube, him and the cast are going all over on any place they can go to promote the movie. So I think that this movie has a good chance to be his highest gross in picture. And I think, like you said, this might be a film that appeals to more people than just cult Tarantino fans. So I'm excited to see where it goes financially too. When you see Brad Pitt and Leonardo DiCaprio out there promoting it, that's kind of interesting because you don't normally see them going at it all out and appearing on other shows, live shows, talk shows, that things of that nature in order to go ahead and promote a product. So it's interesting to see that they're going ahead and they're full board behind it. That tells me not only well compensated, maybe it's contractual, what have you, but I think that they're also proud of the work and of what they saw as far as the film is concerned and that they're willing to put their two cents behind it as well. So you're right. It does have a chance to be the highest grossing of all Tarantino's films, but it's going to be hard with a upcoming slate of films like Hobbs and Shaw. You've got the Lion King at the box office. So Hopefully it doesn't get trampled under after one week of success this weekend. Let's hope it continues that success. And if it does have that early Oscar buzz, uh, it probably will go ahead and, and have some acclaim and get to that point where I think we'll be satisfied and Sony will be satisfied with it as well, which as you know, is the, <laughs> the be all end all for Hollywood is okay. How much <laughs> chunk of change did you make? So, but again, I'm talking to Austin Sprague. He is the host of the Trash Talk podcast and Last Week in Basketball and the upcoming The Beer and Pretzel RPG podcast. You got to check out all three of those podcasts and the third one when it comes out on Apple Podcasts and everywhere you can get your podcasts that are out there. One last thing I want to talk to you about before I ask you a question about your shows, and that is on the future of Tarantino. Where do you see it? He, like you said, he said that if he does the Star Trek or another film, let's say that Star Trek deal does not go through and he's going to do another project with something else or even Kill Bill Volume 3, like you said, his 10th film will be his last. And let's say he makes a 10th film, three, four, five years in time. Do you see that being the last film that he ever does? Because he said he would stop at 60. But do you think he'll just get that itch and do something again within the realm of directing even after his 10th project, whatever that will be? Yes, definitely. Yes. He has been saying he wants to, he hasn't said he wants to retire. He says he will stop at his 10th film and he keeps moving. Originally he said he was going to do eight films. If he said 10, if he said 10 and the kill bill movies counts as one. So even he's kind of pushing his retirement and he says he wants to write books. He might write plays too, which will be kind of interesting to see an actual book or a play written by Tarantino. That would actually be awesome to see. So I'd, do believe it's going to be longer than the traditional four to five years for another Tarantino film. He might take six to 10 years off. I don't even think he's going to make 10 years though. Cause this is a guy that everyone in Hollywood knows everyone that's worked with him, either as producers or actors, everyone knows that this man just bleeds movies. Most directors, you just add a majority of the directors in Hollywood and combined, they don't know as much about movies as he does he's seen pretty much every movie that's been ever made so i don't think he can retire because he just seems like the type that just needs to keep writing and he will probably keep writing but at his heart of hearts he is a movie guy and he loves making movies so i think he'll come back and i also don't believe him claiming that the star trek film will be his 10th film I think that Evo, I would love, I would love to see a Tarantino Star Trek film. That would be really cool to see. That doesn't really make sense for your final movie. Like an original property, Evo, the Star Trek film will be as original to him as possible. I think that he's going to want to retire with something that is more 100% Tarantino. Will that be an original movie like Once Upon a Time in Hollywood? Or will that still count for Kill Bill Volume 3? I think those have more of a chance to be his last film for a while at least than the Star Trek film. So long story short, I don't think so. And I doubt that his 10th and final, if it's supposed to be his final, according to him, will be a Star Trek film. I agree with you. He's too much of a film buff to go ahead and just cut it cold turkey. 
he's always going to want to scratch that itch and he's always going to continue to go ahead and probably in some form or fashion be a part of the entertainment scene probably until the day he dies uh, that's just my opinion as well so i agree with you on that one last thing to ask you about my friend and again this is austin sprig you got to check out all of his great podcasts coming up but you've heard it from me when it concerns the Trash Talk podcast, Last Week of Basketball, and the Beer and Pretzel RPG podcast. I want to hear from you, Austin. Why should people check out your awesome podcast, the Trash Talk podcast, Last Week of Basketball, and when it comes out, like you said, very soon, the Beer and Pretzel RPG podcast? Well, it kind of covers everything. If you enjoy movies, comic books, TV shows, and games, in games by tabletop RPGs, board games, or video games. We have that all covered for Trash Talk Podcast. It's me, my co-host Travis, and usually a guest or two. And we cover a new topic of the week every single week. So we might cover a series of films. We plan on doing the Alien movies in a couple weeks. We'll do the Predator films in a couple weeks. Or we might cover a single film that just came out. Last week, we covered Crawl, the new movie that came out. We're going to cover Tarantino's Once Upon a Time in Hollywood soon. Or sometimes we'll cover a series of games. But with every week, we have our main topic, and we also have, at the end of the show, we wrap up with a comic of the week, where I recommend the audience a good comic that I've been reading that is based off whatever our topic is. So there's some good alien comics that I will recommend for our alien podcast episode, for example. We'll also talk a game of the week, a board game, a tabletop RPG, or a video game that we've been playing that we really like. So if you're looking for new comics or games, just stick around till the end. We have some good recommendations. And we also do a fun debate at the end. And also Trash Talk Podcast, we do this while drinking. So while Travis and I, were big movie guys. We've been talking about movies since we're kids. We know how to talk about film. We add an extra flair to this by drinking while doing it. So by the end of the show, sometimes we're just a little bit buzzed. Sometimes by the end of the show, towards the debate section, things get a little crazy. In terms of other podcasts, if you like basketball, last week in basketball, we cover and predict every game and series going forward. We also talk about our predictions going on from last week. We do a other couple of fun side things with that as well. I've been to my upcoming podcast. If anyone's interested in tabletop RPGs like D&D, the Beer and Pretzel RPG podcast will be all about introducing a new game every week. So little known, but really good games that you might not have heard of. And we'll play it, we'll react to it and review it. But also of each episode, we'll have the writer of the game on at the end. And we'll do a fun interview with them. So really, with all these podcasts that I've been having fun doing, we kind of cover all the bases. So especially if you're listening to this podcast, you love geeky stuff, you love pop culture and movies and TV shows and stuff. So definitely check out Trash Talk Podcast to say the least. Once again, it is Austin Sprague. He's putting out three great pop culture and sports type podcasts that are out there. Again, it's Trash Talk Podcast, Last Week of Basketball, and the upcoming Beer and Pretzel RPG Podcast. You got to check it out today wherever you can get your podcast. Austin, it's been great having you on, talking about some Tarantino. Looking forward to Once Upon a Time in Hollywood myself. I know you are as well. I wish you all the best, and you're always welcome to come back on the show anytime you want to talk some great pop culture, sports, or anything else you want to talk about right here on the Pop Culture Cosmos. If you're tired of sifting through flea markets for rare and unique games, we can help. Retro City Games in Henderson, Nevada, only five minutes from the Las Vegas Strip, has all your favorite gaming staples, classics, and a wide selection of rare games with new stuff always appearing on our shelves. Come in and chat with Nicole or Doug about your love of games and watch as they help you complete your collection or find your childhood favorite. And don't forget, Retro City Games loves trade-ins. So if you have any Nintendo, Super Nintendo, Sega, Xbox, PlayStation, or even PC games, come in and visit Retro City Games today. Welcome to the new metropolis of gaming, Retro City Games. Thanks so much to Eric Offal of the Art House Legends podcast and also Austin Sprake of the Trash Talk and This Week in Basketball programs. Coming up on Monday's show, the Pop Culture Cosmos, we'll recap our thoughts on Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, and Marcus Sally from the Popcorn Prattle Show stops by to share his thoughts on the filmography of Quentin Tarantino as well. 
this is Gerald Glassford. It's another beautiful day in paradise right here in the PCC Multiverse. We thank you for listening. And here's hoping you have yourself a great day. Okay, let's talk about the Flopcast. Where every week we drink a lot of coffee and we talk about comic books, movies, conventions, music, Saturday morning cartoons. Oh, don't forget the coffee. Lots of weird, obscure pop culture stuff from the 70s and 80s. And chickens. Yeah, chickens. This will be the stupidest half hour of your week. We guarantee it. You can find us on the ESO Network. And... Flopcast.net. You're listening to a Weeby Geeks Network podcast. This has been a broadcast of the ESO Network. Be part of the crew and help support our shows by donating to our ESO Patreon or by shopping through Amazon.com or the Tee Public Store, which can all be found at www.esonetwork.com. The ESO Network. Your station for all things geek. Tangent Bound Network. Let your voice be heard. TangentBoundNetwork.com Thanks so much for downloading the Pop Culture Cosmos and stay tuned as more great podcasts are on the way. Thanks again for listening to us here at the Pop Culture Cosmos.